Greetings, Team Ajulam. It's been uh, it's great to have you guys back, uh, and it's great to be back. Great to be back. Great to be back. So, friends, we are starting a new series, and I am super excited about it. Can't wait to continue to just teach on this for the next couple of weeks. We're starting a series on the kingdom. The kingdom. Yes, we're going to do a series on the kingdom. And the kingdom that we're going to be talking about is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And the reason why uh, we're going to be doing a series on the kingdom is very simple. Here's the thing, right? The kingdom is literally the thing that Jesus talked about the most, right? And the thing is, is, is that if Jesus, if this is the topic that he talks about the most, why is it that we don't talk about it, right? Most times when we talk about Christianity or anything to do with Christ, very few times does the kingdom come up, right? And so for me, when I looked at this and realized that if this is the central theme and the continued conversation around what it is that Jesus literally talked about. Like he talked about this all the time. In fact, in fact, you could make a strong argument that this indeed was the primary message on which everything was centered around when it came to Christ Jesus. This was the thing that he talked about through and through his ministry. His focus consistently was about the kingdom, establishing the kingdom. Right? This is what he was about. Not about a religion, about a kingdom. Ha! Yes! In Matthew 4.23 it says, now this is after, this, this is, uh, after he's gone and he's been tempted and he's been baptized, that it says that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Right? So the thing is, is that this thing is a central theme, very central theme. In Matthew 6.23, we are implored by Christ that our primary concern and pursuit should be the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? And so the kingdom is a central theme of Christ's message and gospel. Therefore, understanding the kingdom of heaven sets us on a path of being able to understand what Jesus was all about and further what his message was all about. This was the gospel that he also entrusted to his disciples, right? This was the good news. The message of the kingdom was the good news, right? And he entrusted his disciples with this message. And so throughout this series, what we're going to do is that we're also going to look at... Um, the message of the kingdom through the eyes of Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. Remember the sinners and the tax collectors? Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And the thing that's really cool about Matthew is that, you know, it's the first book of the gospel. But then I think it's obviously no coincidence that the first book of the gospel is also the one that speaks about the kingdom the most. Because this was Jesus' message. Jesus' message was about the kingdom. And so the thing is, is that in Matthew, we see a number of parables, which we're going to be looking at during the duration of this series. That there's a number of parables that talk about the kingdom. 
that the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. This is the thing that Jesus begins, begins to teach his, 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 uh, those who are, who are following him. That he continually teaches them about the kingdom and he teaches them through parables. And so we're going to look at a number of these parables over the course of this series just to highlight the kingdom. You know, one of the things that you realize is that, just as I mentioned, that in as much as this was the message of Jesus, right? That this wasn't just the message before he died and resurrected. This was the message even after he resurrected. And this was the message that he entrusted to his disciples. In Acts 1 verse 3, it says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, and after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing. We have to, without a doubt, Talk about the thing that Jesus was passionate about, right? And it's the same thing. Like if you if you go hang out with someone and you find that they talk a lot about their family, then you realize, hey, this guy is very passionate about his family and he loves his family. And it's the same thing that we realize here is that this here is the good news. This is the gospel. That this is the message that Jesus preached and continually preached and was all about. He was about the kingdom. And this is what this series is going to be about. Can't wait. <laughs> hey. <sighs> you guys ready? Okay, so cool. Now, here's the thing, right? As we start this series on uh, the kingdom, the first thing that we obviously need to do is to be able to understand what this kingdom is about, right? Now, first and foremost, the thing to point out is that this message that God, that John, the, now the first person who came and talked about the kingdom was John, right? John the Baptist, right? Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then later, Christ came to preach the same message, okay? This is after John has been imprisoned, Jesus comes into the scene, and that's when now Jesus now takes over and he begins to talk about the kingdom, right? But here's the thing that's interesting is that one thing to realize is that when we look at the message of the kingdom, that this is not a foreign concept to the people that were listening, right? The people who were there at the time that Jesus was speaking to, this was not a foreign concept. This was not, there's nothing strange about this message because they were expecting right the coming of the messiah the coming of the messiah and his kingdom okay but the thing is this was spoken about by the, in the old testament by many of the prophets right they spoke about this messianic kingdom that would be coming right and there was a lot of prophecies around it and their expectation was that the this messiah would come and overthrow the roman empire at the time, at Jesus' time, was the time of the Roman Empire. And so the expectation was that if, the, if this is the Messiah, that then he is coming to overthrow the Roman Empire, right? And restore the earthly kingdom of Israel, right? To restore the glory of Israel, the physical, in a physical sense. And so they were waiting for a physical coup, <laughs> right? Of this kingdom that would come. And manifest itself. So then that's what they were waiting for. So they were super excited as they were here listening about the message of the kingdom, right? They were like, yes, let's hear this message of the kingdom. Unfortunately, in Luke 11, 20 to 21, it says, right? 
which must have dampened the expectations or maybe probably even just confused them a bit more. Where it says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees, who were the religious people at the time, as to when the kingdom of God was coming, right? Because it says like, dude, if you're the Messiah, where the kingdom at, right? He answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Right? And so the expectation of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people was that this kingdom, that it would represent itself in the restoration of Israel, the physical manifestation and the restoration of Israel as the conquering kingdom on earth. Right? That's how they had envisioned it. And it's interesting because this is something that you see consistently with Israel, even in the Old Testament, that they always believed that they were the epicenter of God's mission on earth. When in reality, all God has and always been interested in is his kingdom. That's what he's always been interested in. In fact, uh, I believe we covered this in the Joshua series, and I think it was the... Anyway, I'll put up the episode. I'm not sure which one it was. I think it was either episode 7 or 6, one of the two. Where we talk about this in terms of where even in the time when they were entering into the promised land, they completely misunderstood when, when Joshua goes and asks the angel, are you for us or against us? And he's like, neither. <laughs> right? Neither. Because the thing that God has forever and always been interested in is his kingdom. And what he did is that he chose these people the nation of Israel, to communicate this message of his kingdom, of his kingdom, of which he is fully and always and has been concerned about, right? And they're no different from us, to be honest, the children of Israel, right? Is that for many of us, even for us who are here in the faith, is that few times do we actually have a consciousness of the kingdom, that just like the children of Israel, them... They, they, they misunderstood the whole idea of the kingdom. But for us, it's not even a misunderstanding. We don't even have a consciousness of the kingdom, right? What we talk about is we talk about religion and the church and whatever, but we very few times ever talk about the kingdom, right? But so, in a sense, whether the Israelites or us, we're in the same WhatsApp, because the same WhatsApp group, okay? Now, before I go any further, it's important for us to define what the kingdom of heaven is, okay? <laughs> now, the Greek word for the kingdom is basileia, okay? Basileia. And what this is defined as, this is not a Kamba word, this is, uh, this is Greek, right? Same was up. <laughs> anyway, uh, basileia, okay? Now, this is defined as, one, Royal power, kinship, dominion, rule. And it says here, not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. The second definition is a kingdom, the territory subject to the rule of a king. And it's also used in the New Testament to refer to the reign of the Messiah. Okay, And so a kingdom is wherever it is that a king reigns. Okay? That is, when a king is actively exercising his power, or when what the king wants done is done. Right? Or when what the king wants done is done. So God's kingdom is wherever God is in action, and where God's will is done. God's kingdom 
is wherever God is in action and where God's will is done. Where his presence and his will is done is where his kingdom is present. Now the thing is that we know that God created the heavens and the earth, right? He created the universe and everything in its expanse and everything in it, right? And therefore, the thing that we have to ask ourselves then is, is that why does Jesus have to come and announce the arrival of God's kingdom? If God owns everything, then by extension, shouldn't we be able to say that his kingdom is present here on earth, right? In fact, in Psalm 24 and verse 1, it says that the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So then, we know that the earth belongs to the Lord, but does his kingdom reign on earth? And if it belongs to him, why would he ask us to pray? If you remember from the prayer series, that may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Why do we do this, right? If God owns everything and God is the one who created all this, why is it that we claim and ask for his kingdom to come? Why do we ask for his presence and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Now, I believe the answer for us is in Genesis 1, 26, 28, where we see that God, in his authority and power, as the creator of all things, gives dominion and rule to mankind in the earth realm. Right? It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing and creeps that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God in his holiness and in his authority as creator decides, I am going to make mankind in my image and likeness and they will, they will rule and have dominion on my behalf, right? Because they're in my image and likeness. His will and actions would be executed on earth through mankind. And so man operates through God's delegated authority, right? This is why mankind is both spirit and flesh. The spirit is in God's likeness, and the flesh is made so that the spirit can function in this earthly realm. And further... It's shown that man is mandated to be fruitful. And so fruitfulness is built into mankind. Okay? Now, the one thing that is interesting is that when you look at this and now we understand why Jesus is saying, let your kingdom come. is because, you know, we understand this, that heaven, right? The earthly realm has delegated authority. But the heavens doesn't. As far as we know, there is no delegated authority in the heavens, right? <laughs> in that realm, <laughs> God's will and his action is seen and done, okay? And so that's why whenever, when there was a rebellion that arose in heaven uh, on account of Lucifer, right, and his angels, then they were cast out of heaven because over there, <laughs> it's God's way or the highway. There is no delegated authority in the heavens, right? But the thing is that's so interesting is that God in his holiness and his authority and in his power delegates dominion and rule 
in the earthly realm to mankind. <laughs> Guys, work with me on this. Work with me on this. Okay. Okay. Why we seek the kingdom. <laughs> May your will be done. Anyway. And so here's the thing. The enemy who is kicked out of the heavens, right? Where there is no delegated authority, there the seat is established. God has not delegated any authority in the heavens, right? Who off of the creator's playbook also himself sets up a kingdom, a counter kingdom in rebellion to that of God. We know that the enemy has a kingdom because Jesus makes reference to it in Matthew 12, 25 to 26, where he says, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Okay? And so, what we know also as well when you study the scriptures is that this beef between, uh, <laughs> between God and uh, Satan also began, you know, Kitambosana. This is like some ancient beef, <laughs> right? There's some ancient beef over there, right? And so this enemy who was not in agreement with God's will sets up his own kingdom and proceeds to sow rebellion in the mind of Adam and Eve to do the same. He gives them the playbook for rebellion. He causes them to believe that they can go solo, that they can go independent, and that they do not need to concern themselves with God's will and presence, but instead they should set up their own kingdom and follow their own will. And isn't it interesting that what happened on that, that moment with Adam and Eve is still true to us to this day. For centuries, humanity has consumed itself with setting up its own kingdoms. And they all fail. But we keep trying. We see it in the Tower of Babel. But we also see it in the way that we structure and plan our own lives. Right? We have become so proud and haughty, so self-sufficient, and that we are so convinced that life is about creating our own kingdoms and our own legacies. I see this all the time hmm? on the socials where people would say things like, I am here, you know, busy just creating the life I want. <laughs> ah, creating the life I want. Eh? We do this unaware that we are on the path towards death towards unfruitfulness, like it says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, Cast is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a tree, a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes, but will be like a person laid waste in the wilderness. And so the enemy who is the deceiver continues to lie to us, telling us that we do not need to live our lives in the will of God. That we have power, dominion, and rule so that we can do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. That we do not need God. We do not require him to experience life. And so what we do is, is that we go out searching for purpose, fulfillment, and contentment outside of God. And we spend our lives chasing this elusive dream of the life we imagine we can create for ourselves. Ha! Ah, 
My friends, why am I telling you all this? What is the whole purpose of all this, right? What am I, what am I, what are we doing here? What are we talking about? What is all this context about? Jesus came to preach the gospel, the good news of God's will for us, which is embodied in us being a part of his kingdom which was already and always the original intention of why he created us. The good news of life in his will and presence is what he came to preach. The good news of his will and presence in our life, the good news that would cause us to experience true life, and not just life, but life abundantly. God's will and active presence in our lives, which is the kingdom, Remember, the kingdom is God's will and active presence. Delivers to us a promise of eternal life, a promise of abundant life. That there is no life outside of God. That God within himself is life itself. That meaning that us pursuing our own kingdoms... When we talk about death, I don't mean death as in death as in stabbed to the whatever death is that literally that there is no fruitfulness that can be found outside of life itself. And God is the creator of life. He is life. Life is within him. He is life. He is the breath of life itself. He is the breath of life itself. And therefore, God comes through Christ Jesus to communicate a message about his kingdom. The kingdom of which has life, of which in that kingdom is God's will and presence. And because of his will and presence, that is how we are able to then have the promise of eternal life, of abundant life. And I want to get into that in a short while to explain to you exactly what that means. And so God throughout history and throughout the history of mankind has demonstrated his love towards us time and time again. First, he showed his love through him, creating us in his image and likeness and giving us dominion and rule over his creation. And when mankind chooses death through rebellion against him, he does not abandon us, but puts in place a means to redeem us back to himself. That even when we chose death, he remained faithful to us in his love. And though we turned our back on him and came to begin to establish our own kingdoms and to follow other kingdoms, he put in motion a redemptive plan, a plan that would destroy our greatest enemy, which is death. Which is the lack of fruitfulness, which is death. We cannot have life outside of God. It's not because that's how he made it. It's because that is how things exist. The reason why we live, we breathe, we move, the reason why everything exists is because of God. And within him is life itself. Life itself is within him. And so in this redemptive plan, 
that he communicates throughout. He says in Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34, that this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Their rebellion I will remember no more. And so the culmination of this plan is realized in that he comes to restore the original intent of the relationship he sought to have with us by sending himself in the person of Jesus Christ to die a shameful death where it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not experience death, but will have everlasting life. That while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, while we still had our turn, our backs turned against him, while we were still in pursuit of death, Christ died for us so that we would be able to forever and always find redemption and forgiveness. In John 10, 8 to verse 10, it says, Jesus says of himself, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will, have, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. My friends, let me tell you something that I discovered. The word for life here in Greek is the word zoa. This is the same word that's used when the word eternal life is written. So anytime you see the word eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, will not die, but have eternal life. The word their life, and even in here where it says that I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, that word life that's used here is the word zoa. And the thing that's so interesting is that for me, I've always looked at the word eternal life as just living forever, right? In terms of like, it's just basically being able to live, like breathe for a long time, right? So meaning that even after we die, we'll be resurrected and we continue to live forever, right? That's how I've always understood eternal life, living for a long time, right? That even after we die, we'll be resurrected and be with the Lord. But this word Zohar is a lot more than that. The word Zohar speaks of an active life, an animate life, a life lived and filled with purpose and activity. It speaks of vitality. You know, like how when you say that, hey man, that guy is so full of life. That's what Zoa means, right? And so the thing that is so interesting is that the promise of Christ, the promise of his kingdom is eternal Zoa. He gives us eternal purpose, eternal vitality, eternal and genuine real life. And then he says that he will not just give us Zoa, vitality, purpose, that he's saying that I will give you abundant Zoa, 
surpassing Zoa, uncommon Zoa, extraordinary Zoa, more than we need Zoa. And this he promises, not just in this world, but also in the world to come. Because it says that he who has the Son has eternal life. Meaning that you already, within him, have eternal Zoa. You have vitality. You have purpose. <sighs> hey. Not just in this world, but in the world to come. And this here, my friends, is the good news. The good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, is that God, through his presence and will, activated in our lives, wants us to experience true life, abundant life, purposeful life, and that the entry to this glorious presence of God and his loving will of our lives is found in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes I wonder that if Paul knew, <laughs> if Paul knew that the letters that he was writing would become what we then today consider scripture. I wonder whether he would I mean, I, I, I bet you anything, he's just in heaven, just completely blown away. Because what he experienced is eternal Zoa. He literally has experienced abundant living beyond anything that he could have imagined. Fruitfulness that is beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. This is the promise that God delivers to us through the gospel of his kingdom in Christ Jesus. Eternal Zohar, abundant life. You know, the story, um, this, this, um, there's a story of um, this guy, his name is uh, Ed Kimball. His name is Ed Kimball, who was a Sunday school teacher. And it says here in 1858, what he did, this Sunday school teacher, is that he led a Boston shoe clerk to give his life to Christ. This clerk was Dwight L. Moody, who became an evangelist. And in England, led a, 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 an awakening, right, in 1879. So he started the awakened evangelistic zeal. And through that, right, he managed to minister to a guy called Frederick B. Meyer, who's the pastor of a small church, right? Now this B. Meyer preached to an American college campus and in that American college campus, right? Follow through with me, right? He then preached the gospel to a student named J. Wilbur Chapman, okay? What Chapman did is that Chapman went to uh, and established the YMCA network. You guys know about the YMCA. And then what he did is that he employed a former baseball player, his name is Billy Sunday, to do evangelistic work. Billy Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. And what happened is that a group of local men were so enthusiastic afterward that they planned another evangelistic campaign where in this evangelistic campaign, they, they, they came and uh, brought a guy called Mordecai Ham to preach. During that revival, a young man named Billy Graham 
heard the gospel and yielded his life to Christ. I don't know if you guys know who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham is one of the men who right now is considered to be the guy, one of the most effective evangelists of our time, who has led millions upon millions of people to faith in Christ Jesus. But the thing that is so interesting is this. This whole story began with a Sunday school teacher. His name was Ed Kimball. <laughs> Ed Kimball, based on uh, our interpretation of how we measure things and how we measure fruitfulness and effectiveness, he was just a Sunday school teacher. But in heaven, this Sunday school teacher began the chain of events that led and has led to millions upon millions of people coming to the knowledge of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. The promise of the kingdom, the promise of God's will and his presence in our lives is eternal Zoa fruitfulness beyond our wildest imagination. The other day I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was concerned about their life and feeling as though they don't sense that there's a lot of purpose. They feel like they're stagnated. They're just in this kind of weird stage right now in their life where they feel that they're not being fruitful. They're not being, you know, they're like, what's, I feel like I want to do more. Right? Because the way that we've been conditioned is that we need to do more. We need to, do, need to be out here being fruitful. Because that's how we believe that we are the ones how we ought to live our lives. Right? We believe that we build our own kingdoms and so we can be able to design and chart our own path. And so she's here feeling this pressure, looking around and seeing other people who are being fruitful and for her feeling as though she has no purpose. And I remember telling her, my friend, as long as you are connected to the vine, as long as you're connected to Christ Jesus, the promise, the promise that he delivers to us is that he says that in my kingdom, you will have eternal Zoa. You will have eternal life. That the promise of Christ Jesus is that he will ensure that our lives are fruitful that our lives have purpose, that our lives have meaning, and not just that, that he promises us eternal life, abundant life, abundant Zohar, abundant vitality, abundance of purpose. That what seems insignificant, just like Paul writing those letters, or like Ed Kimball, who was a Sunday school teacher, ends up being fruitfulness that they never imagined possible. This is the kingdom. That the message of the kingdom is this, is that forget about your kingdoms. Forget about your kingdoms and the kingdoms of this world. God's message is that he wants to overthrow the kingdoms we have established in our hearts where, we'll, where our will is king. The realization is that this life, that life, leads to death. 
And by death here again, remember, I don't mean like dying death. I mean meaning living a useless, meaningless existence. Where the things that you do, you think you're creating a meaningful life, making a name for yourself. A life with no purpose. What the King of Kings is promising us. He's asking us to step down from our kingdom and allow his will and presence to exert its influence over our lives. And the result of that and the promise of that is that he gives us eternal Zohar, abundant Zohar. The door into this kingdom is Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is where God's will and his presence is manifest. And so Jesus comes and preaches this message of the good news of the kingdom. And he says, repent, for my kingdom has come. Here is my kingdom. Forget about your kingdom. Forget about your kingdom. Take on my kingdom. Because my kingdom promises you eternal Zohar, abundant Zohar, abundant life, eternal life. Eternal purpose, abundant purpose, abundant vitality, eternal vitality in this world and the next, for his kingdom has no end. This is the pasture that Jesus Christ is inviting us into, and the door into that is Jesus Christ. And you know what's so interesting is that I'm sure for many of you there's been seasons in which there are periods where you feel like, Man, what am I doing with my life? Right? Or there, I, don't, I know that there's many people who've shared with me where there are periods in their own lives where God tells them, you just relax, you just chill. And you think, man, I need to be doing stuff, man. Hmm? And be in control. But our submission to his will and our submission to his presence, our submission to Christ Jesus promises us, his promise to us is eternal life eternal Zohar through this kingdom that he wants to establish in your heart. The kingdom of God is within you. And he's seeking to be able to establish his lordship in your life, in your heart. And he's asking you to banish your kingdom and instead invite his into your life. His kingdom is his will and his presence. Would you invite God? Invite God's will and God's presence into your life through Christ Jesus. And once you do, the promise to you is this, that you will have eternal life, eternal Zohar in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. This is the beginning of this message about the kingdom, about God's will and his presence and manifested in Christ Jesus. This is the beginning of this message. And I pray that today, I want to start this message and to ensure that as we go along, that if you are hearing this and you're hearing this for the first time, just like, I want to be a part of eternal Zohar. I want eternal Zohar. My life right now is just headed in the wrong direction. The promise of Christ Jesus, the good news. Isn't this good news? That his promise to us is eternal purpose, that we will live a purposeful life. 
And the only thing that we need to do is to believe in the one that he has sent. Believe in Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. That if you believe in your heart and confess in your, with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. This is the beginning of everything. In our next episode, we're going to talk about the kingdom and how the kingdom is like a seed. This is the seed. To believe in Jesus Christ begins the action of the kingdom in your life. The action of eternal life begins today. He who has the Son has eternal life. It's not a thing that's coming. It's a thing that begins now. Eternal purpose that comes now and continues forever. I look forward to this. I look forward to being an 80-year-old Zoa <laughs> with Zoa from our living God and King from this life and beyond. And so believe in Jesus. And if you already believe in Jesus, I want you to know this and have this confidence that because you believe in him, no matter what it looks like, the promise of your Savior is this, that I will give you eternal Zoa, that your life right now is completely purposeful and that God is going to ensure because he does not deny his own word. He's going to ensure that your life has meaning, purpose, and vitality in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this. If you enjoyed the content, please subscribe and also share it with someone that you love. Thank you so much for those of you that continue to support this ministry. And if you want to give, click on the link below. Sante Nisana.